Welcome Home Radio Podcast. Are you looking to buy or sell your home? Our team is here with answers to guide you through the buying and selling process. We encourage you to ask questions. Please comment on this show or visit us at welcomehomeradio.net for more information. Bringing real estate, lending, and education together in one place and to help you make the right home decision for you and your family. Here are your hosts, Blair Thomas, Tom Holm, Alan Pace, and Jeff Duffy. And welcome to Welcome Home Radio, where real estate, lending, and learning all come together. It is March 15th, and we hope you're having a wonderful week. I don't think Texas can decide whether it's summer or spring or winter, but uh, we're loving our weather right now here. And Jeff and I get to play a lot of golf, so that's always a good thing, right, Jeff? Absolutely. And I am excited about today's show. Everybody has been worried, worried, worried about where are interest rates, why are interest rates, people on the fence about waiting, I got to wait, I got to do. We're going to beat up, talk about, understand everything that deals with interest rates, and I'm really excited to get going. But guys, welcome, Tom, Alan, Jeff, hope y'all are doing well. I'm heavily concerned about that darn weather. I can tell you what it is. Absolutely with the weather. It's um, allergy season. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, one of the big things I think everybody needs to be talking about, have you filled out your bracket yet? Because March Madness has started. It is in full swing this week. So uh, hopefully everybody gets out, gets to enjoy a little bit about March Madness. I, if you're if you're not a basketball lover, I understand, but for for us that love the NCAA, boy, this week is exciting. But want to get into everybody talks about where are interest rates? How are your interest rates? I get that question, and Tom, help us understand exactly mortgage-backed securities and where they fit in from a very simple third grade level for the the average buyer out there, average homeowner, average person on the market. Where does mortgage-backed securities fit into the financial world at this time? Well, mortgage-backed securities uh, describes uh, what lenders do with regards to the mortgage that's created for Alan and for Jeff and for you and for Mary and for Bill. All those loans that are created get sold or put into a package. And that package then it creates what we call a bond package that's described as a mortgage backed security. So the mortgage backed security package is basically created from one person's $300,000 loan, one's $250,000, one person's $450,000. And the loans, how they're created all have a certain yield that are tied to them based on the interest rate that was given. So that's how they put together a mortgage backed security. And then those are looked at as far as investment vehicles for companies like the lizard people and like flow and like, um, you know, Snoopy people, they, they want to buy these big packages. The insurance companies do because they need long-term returns on the money that we give them for their premiums. And so to bring it to personalize a little bit, if you have a pension, if you have a 401k, if you are a part of a school district or a local state government, 
all of these types of programs purchase into these mortgage-backed securities in the secondary market. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So the, the ones you mentioned, especially pension plans, retirement teachers' retirement system plans, uh, those invest into them as well as the insurance companies. I mean, these are, you know, usually these bond package, the, the bond itself is, you know, on average $50 million, could be $100 million. So sure. it has to be a large institutional buy for these types of things. And they're seeing, again, they're rated according to, you know, Moody's or Standard & Poor's. Their rating system is double A or single A or uh, B plus or whatever the rating is regarding the risk that's tied to your actual loan that you got. And so if they have a package full of people with 750 credit scores that put down 20%, that bond package will have uh, less risk and in turn will sell for a, a little bit more of a premium, a little less of a premium. And so to understand every FHA mortgage is packaged together, VA is packaged for VA, conventional, as you said, certain credit scores, or it could go into the, the economics of, hey, a $500,000 plus or lower than 500,000 could be packaged all together. And these are sold. And these are the deciding factors on what interest rate comes back, the risk, the return that they're looking for on these types of securities. And so that's where mortgage rates are starting. But now let's personalize this. Let's get into what impacts my personal score, my personal interest rate that I'm looking on my mortgage. Alan's got a great client. He's looking at a $450,000 loan. He's purchasing a home at $449.9. What other things come into impacting that his interest rate himself? Well, of course, in your situation, it's your good looks. <laughs> <laughs> scary good looks that's yeah. the van down by the river <laughs> <laughs> please uh, no, no close-ups he's got a face for radio please be careful here um but the uh the the factors involved with pricing loans are called llpas loan level pricing adjustments llpas are re reflections of what fannie mae and freddie mac rate as risk factors. So loan level pricing adjustments. No, you said you said a term that that I don't think some of our listeners knows. Fanny and Freddie. Is there oh. a Ginger and a Rogers? Is there? There is. These are my brothers and sisters. In OK, our, that's what I thought. There we go. Because I thought little sister Jenny felt very left out. Well, she's a stepchild. So of course she does. Who is Fannie, Freddie, Jenny? Please. Fannie, Freddie, and Jenny are securitizers of these mortgage-backed securities. We keep talking about the mortgage-backed securities. Well, who puts those packages together and then goes finds the investor? Fannie and Freddie go and do that. So they're the conduit to sell the mortgage-backed securities that we started with the description. And within that mortgage-backed security package, of course, um, the risk was assessed by Fannie and Freddie in part uh, so the investor knows what they're buying regarding this LLPA thing I was just mentioning. Because loan level pricing adjustments, it goes all the way down to the loan itself. 
Uh, did they put down 5%? Did they put down 20%? Did they have a 680 credit score? Did they have a 750 credit score? Was this uh, loan done for a stick and brick house or was this loan done on a condominium or a log home? Okay, so so let me let me go down. You, you first brought up, I believe, how much down payment. So the loan type matters, conventional FHA and down payment LTV. The loan value. LTV has a, a, a big factor, yes. And so, and then also credit score. Their Absolute, independent absolutely, credit score. Absolutely. So, and I want to stress this about credit scores, guys, jump in here. But credit scores are looked at by a lender or by an originator, and they look at all three. And they throw out the high, throw out the low, and take the middle score. And if there's two borrowers, they take them both high and low, take the two middle scores and take the lower of the two as the loan or the credit score for that loan. So again, credit score impacts your interest rate, your personal interest rate. Now there's 13 different algorithms on credit scores. There's insurance, there's auto loans, there's student student loans, mortgage, mortgage loan credit scores or FICO 2004 is the hardest one out there. It's the most critical one out there. They did make changes. Medical debt of $500 or less is thrown out. They're also looking at student debt and how that's being ratioed. But, it, but you have to be aware, your credit score is one of the largest impacts to your interest rate factor, okay? So loan to value, LTV, credit score, loan type, conventional, FHA, how much down, even VA, USDA. But also what other, there's another big one that I think people don't understand sometimes, and that's the loan term. That means whether it's a 15, 30 year, and yes, Tom, back me up here, tell me if I'm, I'm passing on bad data or not, but we even have a 40 year term loan types available out there, correct? Not through Fannie and Freddie, though. Not, not through Fannie or Freddie, but there are available type of things. So, again, the five highest impact interest scores that impact your rate, your interest rate that you're looking for is credit score, loan to value, loan term, the interest rate type, a fixed. How about a fixed or adjustable rate? Those are possible variances that take place on low level price adjustments that will be there as Tom mentioned and loan type. So governmental loans, do they do better than conventional or conforming? I mean, is, is there is there a better way to go just from the outset of the loan type, Tom? Well, uh, are you talking about as for the investor or are you talking about for the borrower? For the borrower, we're talking borrower. Well, the borrower will find that those loans typically have a slightly lower interest rate because investors uh, look at them as more secure. And because they're more secure, they're either guaranteed by the government with a VA type situation or they are insured in the FHA circumstances. So that creates a lot less risk for the investor knowing that they're fully covered on all losses on the transaction. So you may have a lower interest rate, but you're also paying what's called MIP on FHA. 
Yeah, you're paying the risk premium as the borrower on those situations. FHA is the most expensive loan you can get. Okay, don't just make that statement and generalize it. Let's bring that out. Why? Well, it's the most expensive one you can get as an average buyer. And so average buyer means that you fit within a, a box. You fit within the FHA, VA, conventional boxes. FHA is going to be the most expensive because the insurance on it is um, expensive. <laughs> I don't know other way to describe it. It's flat, isn't it? It's MIP is flat. It's 0.85%. Mortgage insurance premium, the upfront mortgage insurance premium is 1.75%. The upfront, okay. But so the you ongoing. 2% basically and roll it back into your loan that you're going to finance over the life of the loan. And then you're going to have a renewal rate of 0.85, which is just about to go down here in the next month. So the 23rd of this month? Uh, 23rd, that's correct should be actually closer to next week or week and a half from now. Yeah. So you as the borrower are considered a little more high risk. Is that a fair assessment? That is the, the nature of the beast with FHA. They allow lower credit scores than at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They allow more credit hickeys as far as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac is concerned. And a larger BTI ratio. They give you a higher ratio that you can borrow with as, as far as debt is concerned. Right. So a governmental loan. Now, VA, I think, is one of the cheapest ones, especially for a disabled vet, because there is no funding fee. And of course, there is no ongoing MIP or PMI with that. And like you say, it's 100 percent securitized by the VA. And so investors are more likely to give a better interest rate for that type. Absolutely. Yeah, VA is one of your best ways to buy uh, pretty much. I mean, if you fit the eligibility requirements, that's going to be the way you want to go. Amen. Amen. I share that. I, and I have people, I just I have one right now that's putting down 75% of the loan and he's still using his VA benefit, which is, I think, a good thing. But... Uh, Okay, what else do we see? We've gone down, I think, credit score, loan to value, loan term. Oh, type. Let's talk real quick about fixed and adjustable rate mortgages. What, is those, what do those two terms mean, Tom? Well, a fixed rate means that the uh, uh, rate is fixed and the adjustable rate mortgage means the uh, rate adjusts. Okay. Adjust. What do you mean every month, every year, every? I want to keep it very basic. Thank you very much. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, fixed rate is a reference to the fact that your principal and interest will not change during the course of the life of the loan. Your payment may change because your taxes and insurance do, but your actual interest rate has been locked in for 20 years, 15 years, 30 years, however long you agreed to pay it. And as such, your principal and interest never change. With an adjustable rate mortgage, after typically a, a few years of having that locked in for the start rate, what we call the start rate, you, you're then subject to what's happening in the marketplace. And what ha is happening in the marketplace, if rates are going down, 
you reap the benefit of a lower rate. If rates are going up, then you share that risk with the investor that your rate will go up. So adjustable rates are uh, considered more volatile, but they can uh, have their own features and uh, uh, goodness to help people with regards to times like now, perhaps is a good time to get an adjustable rate mortgage. And I know people go, you gotta be crazy. But the adjustable rate mortgage, typically you start off with a below fixed rate interest rate. And if rates you know, were to come down, which there is pressure for them to do that, well, then you're going to get the benefit once the rates start changing, you're going to get the benefit of the rates coming down at that point and, um, get, and, and having a lower payment as a result of that. Hey, Tom. Now, one of the things that has happened here recently that I find interesting is, Tom, that we used to have what's called a 5-in-1, a 7-1, a 10-1, and it was always adjustments after that fixed period uh, on an annual. Now we have 7-6, 5-6, 10-6. Why do we have this change from a year to six months time frame? Is that because of risk in the market? Oh, I would say it's 100% tied to that. Keep in mind that throughout the rest of the world, we are the only uh, country in the world. The United States is the only country in the world that will go out on a limb and say, I'm going to give you a rate for, for 30 years. I mean, that's unheard of, or 20 years, or even 15 years. If you go buy a house in Canada or South America or Mexico or uh, Europe or Southeast Asia, the only thing they give you are adjustable rate mortgages. I mean, the, we're so unique here that, you know, to get people into arms has always been kind of an uphill battle. But uh, again, if I've got a situation where I feel like by the Christmas time, you know, rates will moderate the Fed and the Fed doesn't really totally influence our rates. We can talk about that a little bit later, but still the overall perception that we need or uh, should pay higher rates will maybe dissipate at that juncture here in six months or 10 months. Uh, to have a rate that would change every six months is maybe more beneficial. But yes, they're going from one year type situations as far as the adjustment period every year to six months because of the volatility in the marketplace. And case in point is just last year. Case in point, if you were to get and lock a loan in in December of uh, last year, um, well, I, I not last year, but a year ago in, a, in November, you were locking your loan, you would have gotten a 3% rate if you closed on the deal in November, December. You know, by April, you were at 7%. So that volatility is reflected with the uh, taste that investors have for risk. Well, they don't like that risk. Rates doubling in a six-month period or eight-month period, that, that's not something they have a taste for. I know Jeff had a question. Well, it's twofold. One, a comment you made a minute ago. So it's actually a little more challenging to get approved for an adjustable. Is that what I heard you say? Well, the adjustable rate, when you get approved, you have to, uh, by, by rule, uh, to be a qualified mortgage, you have to qualify on the highest it can go in the first five years. And that's not this, by the way. <laughs> 
So in the first five years, if my rate could go to 7% on an adjustable, that would make it more prohibitive than if I had it locked in at 6% for the first five years. So let, let me ask you this second but with that. And, and Blair, I know with your group and company, as far as the availability is now of it, saying the rates are what they are. I want to buy a home. I'm going to go with it because this is the point I'm at in my life. But I'm, I'm already thinking I'll just refi in 12 to 15 months or less, maybe. Could be six months. I'm considering that. Should I consider an arm more effectively? I mean, again, the risk is there that, that it could go up, but an arm is going to benefit me if in six to eight months, everything starts coming down, even if it's 12 months. What's the thought process there as I'm a home buyer? Well, for, for our standpoint, we took this thought in and in November of last year, we put a program into place that hopefully took some of that sting out of and that adjustable is that we put what's called the rate redo program in where we're able to refinance that home at no lender cost up until December 31st of 2024. So if rates get better to the point that it's a value to refinance, that lender cost is zeroed out to help out those clients get off the fence and start buying because you're gaining equity now. And, and Alan can step in here and talk about why is it a good time to buy now? Well, if you're catching sellers and I'm going to try to do this in a reverse bell curve. So on a, a U you've got the U here. We're just at the cusp of where sellers are still wanting to make sure they sell. So they're negotiable. As soon as we go down and we come start coming back up, sellers, there's going to be more activity, more buyers on the market, all of a sudden competition. Buyers won't have as much power. So buying when you have that situation where you can negotiate a seller credit, negotiate certain things, buy now, refinance later, and you're gaining equity in the home over that six, nine, 12 months, 15 months that you're waiting to refinance anyway because of the growth of the home. Alan, would you agree with that at this time right now? Yeah, I think that's a scenario that people are looking at. But, you know, I I try to just as an average person so that average people that are watching this that don't know about lending or real estate, they just know they need a house. Um, the best time to buy real estate is five years ago. That's a That's been going on since I can remember. So if you need a home and you want to buy a home, then buy a home. And same with selling it. Some people have to sell relocation, job change, you know, status in their marriage or whatever, death. So those people are always out there. But to me, if, you know, live your life and don't let projections and what may happen and all that stuff interfere with it. Get with, get with somebody, start with the lender and talk about financing of a property what your options are. And we've talked about veterans and we've talked about people with lower credit scores at FHA. Tom mentioned conventional and, and I think probably cash is always out there. But um, in general, if you're going to buy, if you need to buy a home and it's what you want to do, do it. Markets go up and down throughout history. And this is no different. This is not the first time interest rates went up on housing and it's not going to be the last. They're going to come down again for sure, but don't know when and don't know by how much. So my thing is always live your life, you know, do your thing. 
whatever you're into, raise your family, your pets or whatever you want to do, but just go live it and don't let the interference of, of all the, what might happen, get in the way. There's ways, you know, the best thing, obviously, if you can own a property and make equity for a lot of people in this country, that's their biggest savings that they have is the equity in their home. And I think a lot of people that rent don't realize that. So, you know, if you think you're a, a candidate, talk to Blair, talk to somebody in lending. If you have a realtor friend, get a hold of them. Call me. You can get me here, call a phone number, whatever. But talk to somebody and get started. Whatever your path is going to be, at least start and see what your options are. I think everybody here has mentioned you have a lot of options when it comes to lending. And if you're not ready yet, Blair can certainly help you with that. And we have other people on the show that guest that can help you get ready. So, so act, do something. And that, that's what I would say about interest rates. That's a good point. Now, Tom, that also brings us up to an interesting conversation piece. Why, why if I'm, if I'm Joe Blow going around and I'm shopping VA, why do lenders have different rates for me? I'm the same person. I'm the same credit score. I'm saying the same loan to value, same everything. Why would certain people have different interest rates for me because of their business model? What, what's the reasoning there? Well, uh, the pricing on loans is determined by the uh, individual mortgage companies ability to provide that product to you at a certain rate. It's just like when you go to Kroger, why a dozen eggs is, you know, 297. And then you go over to Tom Thumb and the dozen eggs is 315. Eggs are finally coming down, by the way. That's a good thing. Man, gosh, <laughs> I was start eating eggs again. Jeez. Didn't even have breakfast for a while there. I, mi I miss them. Me too. This bagel stuff. What is that about? Uh, but um, mortgage companies are the same thing. They're the grocery stores of lending. And if you're going to go to a grocery store and it's got just a limited supply of stuff and it's very efficient and uh, they don't have a lot of overhead and they don't have a lot of advertising they're doing, they may be able to price that loan better for you as Mr. Borrower than, you know, Tom Thumb or Market Street and go in there and they've got everything for everybody. And it's got a whole bunch of people in the bakery shop and in the butcher shop and all that. The efficiency of scale uh, really comes into play with regards to our lending uh, partners out there, uh, their, their competitiveness. Also, part of it is based on their... Um, taste for risk during certain times because actual taste taste for risk a great example of what's happened with wells fargo uh the first of the year this year they came out and said well we don't want to do loans for people that we don't know we're just going to do loans for people that are our customers so the only way you can get a wells fargo loan today is you go directly to wells fargo to get their loan their their loan products Whereas last year, if I went to Gateway Mortgage or Fred's Mortgage down the, the road, they would offer me a version of Wells Fargo's mortgage. So everybody's looking at their place in the marketplace and determining 
you know, how much, how efficiently can I get this loan to the borrower themselves? And so that's the major driving force between why if I go to ABC mortgage, my rate at XYZ could be different when I go over there. Well, you have, and, and I think maybe another way of stating it is certain companies have niches that they focus on. They understand those niches, whether that can, that can be another, exactly that could be another situation as well, providing, uh, okay, we want to specialize in this certain type of deal. I know certain companies in the past that go, we really want to uh, specialize in the jumbo borrower and they're willing to cut their pricing down to where they're just making, you know, dollars and cents on a jumbo loan, even though, um, it's not as profitable for them. They may do it. Uh, Chase Bank is a good example of that. They love to do jumbo loans because they get that jumbo customer to become a bank customer that they now can solicit for retirement accounts. They can solicit for um, other investment vehicles that they offer. They can solicit them for credit cards and car loans, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Now, how big of a difference is this direct lender advantage when somebody I think the two key things are, are you a direct with Fannie or Freddie or Jenny? But also, I think one of the factors that people underestimate or don't understand is, is that company going to service that loan? Because if I'm going to service that loan long term, I build in that factor and I discount my rates. Would you agree with that or is that not true? Well, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's again, this is efficiency of scale. If, if you've got a big enough position in the marketplace, then servicing loans can absolutely be advantageous with closing the loan and then keeping it and servicing it. But there's some overhead costs that everybody has to take into consideration. You obviously have to have personnel there to chase down the people that don't make their payments, people that have questions about their escrow account that call in, uh, people that want to know, uh, you know, why a payment is what a payment, all that takes time and manpower to be able to answer. So that becomes something that's a, a challenge if you're keeping your servicing and you're doing a direct lending to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and thusly afterwards, you're going to, you're going to collect the payments for, you know, for Fannie and Freddie as well. I can just tell you out on the street, people in general think direct lender, is better than any other way to go, whether it is or not. But that's the that's what people think. The word direct somehow infers you're cutting out the middleman, and thus your costs are a lot lower, and they are getting a better deal. That's so, why you go to Diamonds Direct. <laughs> uh -oh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure, but I'm just saying that's that's just, what people are thinking plug, out there. Plug the they business. Direct, they hear the word direct, and they just automatically assume. It's sure. the best way to go. I'm going to open up a, a, a franchise pizza direct. Okay. And we'll just come over and put the pizza directly into your mouth. <laughs> okay. We, we, we now have gone down a rabbit trail. Well, here's a question. Monkey butt. You're right. He is being snarky. <laughs> hey, it's, let's talk about, I, I do have a question as far as, Monday morning concern on the street is me, the average buyer with we hear the fear and panic of what happened at the end of the week with SVB. I think it's pretty safe to say they were not 
focusing their energy and efforts within home loans. Is that is that a fair assessment or is that just being very naive as far as the concern that can be out there starting today? It is interesting. Um, the <laughs> Fed has called, uh, they have, they've called for a, a silent or closed door meeting today at 1130 for all Fed chairmen. And their fear because of this bankruptcy solution that happened in California and all these technology companies, that's going to impact directly the technology firms, the technology market. The Fed tries to fight, and, and Tom, please step in here if I say something inappropriate, but the Fed, in my mind, tries to fight inflation. They have two things. They, the interest rate that banks share when they borrow money from the Fed, and that's part of the world banking system. But then they also try to control things at a Fed rate of where the money's going, how it's being spent, how much money is available, because they've been printing money for the last two years, almost two and a half. They kept the rate so low because they well, were let me, let me correct. Money. Let me correct that. They've been printing money for the last decade and a half. Okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> Let's not pick on two years. We've been well, technically crazy. for over 200 years, they've been printing money. Well, no, no, yeah. Well, the Fed went around 200 years. So. If you want pizza direct in your mouth, you better go to the source. So, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton. There you go. He's on the 10, I think. That's that's the source. But the He's Fed going. also purchased, when we had rates that historically low 2.5% to 3, 3%, they were buying on a monthly basis billions of dollars of loans to keep that rate there to stimulate supposedly the economy. Yeah, they didn't done that back in 2008. Yeah. And and now we're paying the price because now they're fighting inflation and they've shot all their bullets in their gun of continuing to raise rates, but if they continue to raise rates, they're going to cause a major impact in banking because bankers buy things at 2%, they're paying on that, but all of a sudden now it's a 4% cost. They've got a 2% loss and you got a 10-year treasury that's 10 years of 2% two, 2 loss on $100 billion. That hurts. And it's, I, I got to say, I hope the Fed takes some responsibility for what they're doing because banking over the next 10 years is going to take a major hit if they don't get their act together, in our opinion. But now, does the Fed directly impact mortgage-backed securities and interest rate? No. No. Let me say that again. No. They are not a governmental industry, industry, you know, entity at all, but they have an impact into the stock market way quicker than they have an impact into mortgage-backed securities. Inflation. Should we send them a copy of a really good book I recently read? Uh, you finally read that? <laughs> that would be a nice yeah. thing. <laughs> you know, very, very good question. People are going to be looking at it. And and right now I'm watching the market over here on, I love this multiple screen. You, you remember life on one screen, one laptop, one, this is amazing having more screens, but I mean, the market has responded for mortgage securities in a very positive way. I'll be locking a few loans this week right now. Uh, 
because inflation is being fought Mar March 10th, just like May 10th, it's going to be a huge jump for us and interest rates are coming down. But one of the things that I think would be a great question to really understand and everybody jump in here, but what's the difference between APR and interest rate? Because I'm Jeff, you're at, you're an escrow officer. You close loans. You have the people there. Here's your interest rate and here's your APR and they're different. What does that mean? What does that do? What, why are they different? I think um, I'm still going to defer to Tom on that as far as when that well, he's our educator. He is quasi. And I taught APR this weekend all over the place. So I guess I, I guess I could say what I said to my students. First off, what does APR stand for? APR stands for annual percentage rate, annual percentage rate. And as you mentioned, it is not your interest rate, albeit it could be, but your interest rate and your APR, the interest rate is the interest that's charged on your loan in order for the investor's return and they know how much they're going to make. That's, that's the interest you pay is the interest rate. APR is a reflection of the cost of the acquisition of that rate over the life of the loan. So if you don't pay any cost to get your interest rate, in other words, there's no cost associated with it. Your lender just turns to you and says, Tom, here's a 6% interest rate. No other charges are due. My APR is 6%. But we know that in the mortgage world, that's not going to happen. We know I'm sorry, I don't do it for free. I don't do it for free. So there are certain- Jeff doesn't work for free. Alan doesn't work for free. Well, Jeff told me he did. <laughs> some days really? it feels like it. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, before some of the recent changes where the, the structure of your closing disbursement uh, and, and, and became, instead of two or three pages, became what, eight-ish? The APR, that, pay, that was a certain set of pages that were on its own. In closing, I refer to it as the ugly sheet because people would look at that and you see, here's what I'm buying the house for. If I live in it for 30 years at this rate, this is the total amount I'm paying for it. And people go, oh, you know, because it's like, whoa, you, you don't think of that until you, you're sitting there with those numbers in front of you. So that's that's referring back to what Tom just how Tom just described it. Absolutely. Well, and keep in mind that the costs that are associated with the calculation of APR, there's two things involved. First, the borrower has to pay them. So again, if the seller pays them, then it's kind of deceptive, but the, that lowers your APR if the seller's paying them like builders are doing nowadays and that kind of thing. And the second thing to note is not all costs apply towards the calculation of APR. Jeff knows this. Jeff, when he charges a title policy, that does not go towards the calculation of APR. But when he charges his endorsements, that does go towards the calculation of the APR. If he charges an amortization fee, that does. If he charges a closing fee, it does not. So in other words, there's no real earmarked situation except what the government says are what they call PFCs, prepaid finance charges. And there's nothing, again, with regards to this definition, basically somebody like myself just has to memorize which ones are which. 
But if you charge a lender fee, you know that that goes into the calculation of APR if you're a lender. Then there's other fees that are associated with getting the, the loan as well that affect APR. So APR can be a very good indicator of what you're paying to get your financing, or it can be finagled with sometimes to actually be deceptive as to what you're paying for your financing. So APR is one of these things that comes back and uh, you have to sit down with your uh, consumer when they're asking you about, well, my rate, you told me it's going to be four. And now this APR thing says it's 4.187. Tom, you're lying to me. You know, I hate you. I'm going to run you over the parking lot. 4.187 from four. Wow, Tom, we love you. Well, again, great we, got, APR. we got builders paying those costs nowadays. They don't, they don't tack them in as much as they used to. So, uh, and with VA, FHA, uh, uh, USDA, those guarantee fees, VA funding fees, the mortgage insurance, those will jack a rate up pretty quick, pretty fast as well, because those are considered PFCs. But there's also things in a VA, uh, just specifically on there, that the buyer is not able to pay for, that has to be paid for, like termite inspection has to be done outside of that. So correct. We just need to stop Jeff from charging all those fees to, to impact the APR. It's exactly. It's Jeff's fault. And we know that. And that's always been the case. And I'm surprised. I, I, I agree. We're, let, we're letting him slide in this case. We now, are. Those fees that are set aside as PFCs are designated by the government as far as what affects your total cost of your financing expressed as a percentage over the life of the loan. That's that's going to be your APR description. And how does, is that a concerning data point for people? I mean, does it show something to them? What should they be taking away from if their APR is a point and a half higher than their interest rate? Should they be concerned about something? No, what they should be concerned about is when they're shopping alone, taking the third page of the uh, uh, loan estimate and putting it side by side with their two other bids for their loan, getting a feel for that APR number that's at the uh, bottom of the page that tells on, is on page three that says, you know, this is the cost of your financing expressed over the life of the loan. If you put those three together and put them side by side with lenders, typically you'll have a variance of at least a quarter percent. And on a $300,000 loan, that's a substantial amount of money. So that's really where, I mean, APR should be really used as a comparison tool rather than, oh, my APR is so darn high. There, there are things with uh, HOPA, Home Ownership Equity Protection Act, and also with HPML, High Price Mortgage Loans, that protect consumers from paying too high of an APR. Well, and I think you said something there very well, but when you look at lenders, you need to ask for a loan estimate, not just a quote. An LE, they cannot back away from. That means their, their commitment. That right. quote is just a quote. And I can quote you 4.5% interest rate. I'm just not telling you how much it costs to get down there. And on a $450,000 loan, it could be $67,000. So <laughs> get a loan estimate, not a quote. And if you're really serious about comparison two lenders, three lenders, get an LE, a loan estimate from each one of them. 
If you get Blair, that, they're committed. Remind us, once you have submitted an LE to a borrower, what is the variance that you are allowed by the time you get to the closing table? Well, it depends on what, what it is. A large portion of those things are zero tolerance change. And that's for lender fees. Right. Lender fees. That's, kind of what, that's really what I'm focused on there, as opposed to the fees you can't shop for. There's, yeah. You have the right to shop for your insurance and that sort of thing. The appraisal, they, they can't shop for it, but we order it for them. So there is a tolerance there of 10%. Is that correct, Tom? That is correct. Uh, to some degree, of course, because when we order the appraisal for borrowers, we should know what it's going to cost them and we should accurately portray that in our estimate. In other words, if it comes back and the appraiser says, well, no, I'm going to charge you $750 for the appraisal instead of $500 and they're charging that because it was on a rush, did I not take and do my due diligence to give them a good faith estimate that it should have been 750 instead of 500 because it's a rush that's on me as the lender so i can't just arbitrarily change numbers on my borrower anymore that that's something from the good old days that has changed yeah well and i think that's critical to people understand an le is that holds accountable that lender and you're going to see those fees at that level within some tolerance, but most of the time it's zero tolerance on those items. So we're running out of time here. We, I think we've talked and discussed interest rates very well. I think most people should take away what they're designed, how they're, how they come up and how their individual interest rate can be calculated by a lender. So I want to thank you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I think it's been a great time. And if you have any questions, please go to welcomehomeradio.net. Ask them there. We'll get back with you as soon as possible. God bless. I'm Blair Thomas. I'm Tom Holm. I'm Alan Pace. And I'm Jeff Duffy. God bless. Welcome Home Radio production provided by Lunatic Digital. Check the listing of this podcast for the links to our sponsors. And don't forget to like, share, and follow us on social media. Visit welcomehomeradio.net for more information. This was a Lunatic Digital production. Visit lunaticdigital.com for all your digital needs.